Matthew, the 18th chapter. We are going through the book of Matthew at a snail's pace, but we're moving forward nonetheless. One verse at a time, talking about the message of Jesus. What did Jesus teach? Because we need to have that as the focus of our Christian experience. If you're going to be a Christian, it's good to understand the teachings of Christ. What a concept. All right, so now he's, uh, we're in the middle of the chapter 18. And now Jesus starts talking to him, about his, to his disciples, about the church and about things that are going to happen later after he leaves. He knows what's coming. He's going to be going to Jerusalem, dying on the cross, raising from the dead. And then they're going to go into all the world. They're going to change the world in a relatively short amount of time. It's quite amazing what these guys did. And, uh, and he starts talking to them about how to run things and what to expect after he's gone. So he starts talking about dealings within the church when there's problems in the church. So Jesus says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, what kind of sin? I don't know. I assume it's something rather dramatic, strong enough that, uh, you know, that you would need to say something. Are they stealing things? Are they doing something wrong? Is she flirting with some other guy's, you know, uh, some other wife's husband, you know, whatever. I don't know what the deal might be that you might see some other Christian doing. And it's important to know that he's talking about people of faith. He says if your brother or sister, talking about people of faith, if you see them doing something, you get in their face. Now, a couple of things about that. Number one, we're not called to get into the faces of non-Christians. Every time you see some group of Christians protesting some, some what heathens are doing, I always shake my head and go, oh, these guys give us all a bad name. You know, they're heathens. They're, they're, they're not Christians. They're clueless. They don't get it. You know, we shouldn't be spending our time getting in front of them and yelling at them. Not that you won't challenge them. You might see people who are not Christians and say, you know, what you're doing is destroying your life and God has a better plan for you. All that's important and, and appropriate. But we're not called to get into the face of people who do destructive, sinful things, especially if they're not Christians. Um, we need to love them. That's our calling. And to share with them the message of Christ. But once you're a part of the family, and now you're doing stuff inappropriate, yes, now it's time to get in people's faces. Now, this is a tough one for people. Um, most of you listening to me right now, in our campuses all over the world, actually, most people, and studies have been done on this, on temperaments. Most people have a, what's referred to as a peaceful temperament. They just want to get along. That's most people in the world. Most of you out there, you just want to get it all. Which is good that you're all not like me. <laughs> we all be yelling at each other all day long. I'm a little bit too confrontational for my own good, but I don't have this big temperament. Most people do. They just want peace. They just don't want conflict. Sadly, if you listen to that in and of itself, you will end up with more conflict than you ever asked for. Because running from conflict will actually end in you having less peace. You have to understand, by every area of life, need, you need to have conflict. It's just the natural way of life. You refuse to confront things when they first happen, you will end up with much worse situations in your life. Um, this is true in individuals. It's true of nations. I mean, you know, back in the 1930s, um, there was a 
feller, a feller, y'all fellers, a feller going around the world by the name of Adolf, causing all kinds of trouble, and all the peaceful people in the world, all the peaceful nations all said, you know, let's not have conflict, let's, you know, and they got into a policy of appeasement, and doing, he'd take over one country or another, well, let's just try and get along with him, let's sign trees, peaties, and history is full of the, the stupid that was done before all of that. But that kind of appeasement, you don't reason with evil. By refusing to do what have been an easy confrontation in the beginning, wound up to be a disaster in the end. And millions of men, women, and children were killed in the Second World War. Something that, quite frankly, would not have had to happen if people would have confronted evil earlier. Uh, now, the knock ever since then is that we confront it too early. You know, they shouldn't have went into this country. They shouldn't have done it. Listen, history has taught us better to have a smaller conflict up front than to wait for all hell to break throughs later. This, we've got thousands of years of human history to back this up. But all the peace people, ah, oh, we should just mind our own business. Yeah, when you mind your own business and you don't do anything, you'll end up with a bigger disaster in the end. Has always been that way. It'll always be that way. Now, obviously, there's a tough, you know, when to get involved, when I get that. That's all part of the political battle. But this is true also in individual lives. People who avoid conflict tend to have more conflict in the end. And it's always a disaster for them. People who don't want to address and get in the face of their children uh, wind up with children who cause great heartache and pain later. Um, people who, in their marriages, you know, I even heard one preacher talk once saying, if you want a successful marriage, number one, avoid conflict. The guy's an idiot. It's the worst advice in the world. You can't possibly get close to somebody without conflict. All you peace people need to understand, that's just the reality of life. You have to get comfortable. Now, here's the good news. If you'll get comfortable, even though you don't like it, get comfortable with the little conflicts, you will have more peace in your life, which is what you want. You hide all that. Like couples who just, every time they have an art, they just put it on a shelf, put it on a shelf, put it on a shelf. Eventually, the shelf gets so heavy, the whole thing collapses. It's a disaster. And they wind up in divorce and everything. Everything they never wanted, they got 10 times over because they avoided the little conflict. All you peace people, escuchame, listen to me. Don't be running and hiding. Oh, yeah, I don't want conflict. Just listen to me. What you want is peace. But sometimes you have to have the little conflicts to get peace. This is even true in the church. Now, what Jesus said, you see someone doing something inappropriately, you need to say something to them. Well, I don't, I don't want to have conflict. That's the problem. Now, it always stuns me over the years when we'd find out about something. You know, this is decades of doing church. You'll find out about someone who's, you know, all of a sudden, oh, they're committing adultery or this is happening or something horrible is going on in some area of the church. And then you go back and you investigate, trying to figure out what happened. I'm always stunned by how many people knew what was going on. And they said nothing. Why did they say nothing? They were the peace people who were afraid of conflict. What happened in the end? More conflict than anybody ever wanted. You can't get there. You've got to get comfortable. Don't you, if you're seeing things that are inappropriate or bad or wrong in Christian people in our church community, you need to say something. 
And you need to say it to them. And if you don't, what you're doing is wrong. You can be as spiritual as you want and say, well, I just want to walk in love. That's not love. You need to confront them. Okay? It's just like a parent who never disciplines their child. Well, I love my children. The Bible says if you refuse to discipline your child, you don't love them, you hate them. Are you hearing me? That's hate. You need to get, again, no one's saying about walking around punching people in the face. All right? You're not to stick an M80 in their back pocket and watch it blow up or something to get their attention. You know, you can do it as peacefully as possible. But you need to have this conflict. And when you see something, you need to say something. Don't you dare. Shame on you. So many Christian people. You go back because of something split in the church or somebody committed adultery or something. And now lines of people. Oh, yeah, I, I knew what was going on. I, I just didn't want to say anything. Shame, 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 shame. You need to confront them. Again, it doesn't have to be a big nasty the word conference. I know freaks you out, but you need to say something to them so that we can have peace. Or you're going to get the, you're going to wind up with World War II, which never needed to happen. All right? Um, now, so he says you go to them and say, listen, Sally, what you're doing is wrong. You shouldn't be hugging that guy that way. You know, so whatever the deal is, if they listen to you, Jesus is great. You won them over. But... If they don't, and oftentimes, they don't want to listen to you, you go to step two. Now, if you say nothing, you're wrong. If you said something and you stop, you're still wrong. Some people at least do one time, well, Pastor, I did say something, but they didn't listen to me, and I didn't say anything more. You're wrong. Look what Jesus said. Listen to the teachings of Jesus. We're trying to live by the teachings of Jesus. That's why we're doing this. So, if you talk to them, they don't do anything, you're not done. Now you need to take one or two others along and go back to them so that every matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You'll see a quote there, right there. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament concept. They should have two or three people to confirm the truth in a matter. This is a concept that's also used biblically in studying the scriptures. You should never take one verse in the Bible and build a whole doctrine off of it if there aren't other supporting verses. There are some strange verses in the Bible. There really are both Old and New Testament. Uh, what do they mean? Nobody really knows. Every once in a while, a cult will come along and take the weird thing and then build a whole goofball thing off of it. Uh, and thousands of people will follow them. But you need to stop. Just because somebody quotes you something about, well, I didn't know the Bible. Said, yeah, and they give you some weird thing. Say, well, where else in the Bible does it say that? Ah, they don't want to talk about that. Because oftentimes, it never says anything else about it. That idea of two or three, two or three, you need to have multiple of things backing up any truth to live off of it from a biblical concept. Okay? So, you get Larry and you get Fred and now let's go back and talk to Bob again. And if you win him over, great. Sometimes it takes two or three guys sitting talking to Bob and Bob, oh, okay guys, yeah, I, I guess yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing that and you're right and, I'm, and then he can stop. Okay? Now, if he doesn't listen to you, you're still not done. All right? Number one, don't say nothing. Number two, don't say, I said something and did it. You're still not done. Well, I went and talked to a couple other guys. You're still not done. You got to finish it out. If they still refuse to you, Jesus says, teachings of Jesus, tell it to the church. Now, I assume that doesn't mean stand up in the middle of church and say, Bob's acting bad. I presume he means talk to the church leaders. So you come, and then the church goes to talk to them. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then you treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. 
Now, Jesus loved pagans and tax collectors, and we need to love everybody, but there is a shunning the Bible talks about, where at some point in the Christian community, you turn your back to somebody. You say, that's terrible. That's not love. Really? You don't think Jesus knew love? You don't think the Bible knows love? There's a part of love. Sometimes love confronts. That's what I want you to get today. Again, I'm not asking people to go fight and punch each other in the face. But you have no confidence. You don't confront. You're not walking in love. Where there is no confrontation, there is no love. Now, in this case, you need to turn your back on them and that don't have anything to do with them anymore. Paul said in the New Testament, you know someone who's doing something really bad as a Christian. We're talking about Christians. You know they're a Christian. We're not talking about some in-law or some stupid uncle or something that curses and belches and, you know, you know. You need to be nice to everybody. But even, you get someone who's a claiming Christian acting very badly, being immoral. Paul said, don't have anything to do with them. Don't even eat with them. Don't even have lunch with them. So, well, that's not love. Yes, it is love. That is love. It's confrontation. What's the design? Not to hate them, but to cause sorrow in them so that they will turn from what they're doing. Again, you do this to people of faith who know better. And you've been through these steps with them. You don't do this to just everybody in the street. All right? You need to be nice to everybody. Uh, my wife and I have wonderful pagan heathen friends all right we're very nice to them we even got one couple of guys they're gay gays can be very gay 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 full of gayness and we'll come into town they'll pick us up at the airport we'll go to the house for dinner very nice we're very nice to them they like us we like them obviously we don't agree about their lifestyle but they know that and they're still you'd be nice to them. just love people now if they were elders in the church we'd have a problem with that no we wouldn't have anything to do with them. If there are people who are raised in the church and knew Christ and claim to be born again Christians and living in an immoral lifestyle, adultery, whatever it is, no. You don't have anything to do with them. That's what the Bible says. It's love. I know it's a double standard, but it is what it is. Paul said you don't do this to non-believers. If you're going to avoid evil people at all levels, you'd have to build a convent and just live in there the whole rest of your life. You're not going to go anywhere and see anybody. Everywhere you go are bad behaving people. We need to love all those bad behaving people, even our in-laws, all right? Be nice to people. But if they're born again Christians, people of faith, people who know the truth of God and then choose to turn their back on that and do inappropriate things, the Bible says that's when you turn away from them, hopefully to bring them to repentance. You cannot have peace and you cannot have love if you don't have confrontation, all right? All right, enough of that. Then he goes on and he starts empowering the believers. He says to them, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I might point out that he said this a chapter and a half earlier to Peter. It's what Catholics use to say that was what made Peter the Pope. We're not in a fight with Catholics, but we're not Catholics. We love you, peace. We just disagree. Okay, it wasn't something special for Peter. He says this to everybody. He says to all the believers, whatever you bind on earth, whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. Again, he says, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Here he's talking about empowering believers. Now here's an interesting thing about Jesus. Jesus goes around and he was constantly egging on people. Ask God. 
Ask him for what you want. Tell him what you want. Ask and you will receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, keep knocking. The door will be open to you. Ask him, ask him. If two or three of you agree together, it will happen. Man, be persistent. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Make things happen. Now that's the picture of the teachings of Christ. I want to juxtapose that. Very fancy word. Put that against what we hear so much in evangelical Christianity over the last 50 years plus, which is this. Uh, don't do anything until God tells you. And just wait for the Lord to tell you what to do. Don't do anything until God tells you what to do. It sounds so spiritual, sounds so holy, sounds so thoughtful and reflective, but it is pure, unadulterated nonsense. Because that picture you do not see in the Bible. Not in the New Testament. Say, so, well, hey, tarry till the Holy Spirit came. Yeah, yeah, there's moments like that. But there's not this idea of sitting around and do anything till God tells you what to do. Read the book of Acts. They went all kinds of places. God didn't tell them at all. Sometimes he did. On a rare occasion, he popped and the Holy Spirit would say something. The rest of the time, they just went. Paul's second and third missionary journeys, the Holy Spirit didn't tell him to do them all. He just went. In fact, on one of his journeys, do you remember? A prophet came and told him, don't go there. And he went anyway, because he was determined to go. It's fascinating, all kinds of interesting stuff. This idea that you should sit around and do nothing until God speaks to you is baloney. Do not think in those terms. Jesus didn't go around saying, now don't do anything God tells you to do it. Don't act until the Holy Spirit leads you. Don't move out until you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. And wait until God tells you what you guys want. That's not what he says. You can't find it anywhere. No, he does say wait for the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit came. He's here now. What he said is ask, seek, knock, bind, loose, agree. Ask God what you want him to do. Don't be sitting around waiting for God to tell you what to do. Are you listening to me? Y'all looking at me in that tone of voice. Don't do that. Got dropped in from Mars. Now, this is curious. Here's what people do. They get caught up instead of going out and actively doing what God told them to do. Which, by the way, Jesus warned us in a parable. Remember the parable of the talents? A talent was the amount of money. Jesus told this guy, he says he gave one guy five talents, although I like the analogy to human talents. Uh, another guy two and another guy one. He said, go out and do something with it. Well, these guys went out, the first two went out and doubled what they had. Came to the last one, he didn't do anything because he didn't want to make a mistake. Oh, I don't want to make a mistake. Don't want to make a mistake. And Jesus said when the master came back, he rewarded the first two and severely punished the third. And I promise you, in much of Christianity today, we've created the third guy. Guys who don't do anything. People who don't do anything. People who never do anything with their lives. Never get involved in any ministries. Never do anything. Never serve God. Never do much because they are waiting for God to tell them what to do. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a serious butt kicking coming on Judgment Day. You need to get out and you need to do. What should I do? Whatever your hand finds to do. Whatever you can to do, whatever you can do for the kingdom of God, you just do it. Whatever abilities you have, you put them to use. Straight up. But yet people get obsessed. People are obsessed. I know people who for years have been obsessed. Where does God want me to be? Where does God want me to be? Where does God want me to be? Stop wrestling with that. The will of God isn't about where you're supposed to be in the world. It's about how you're supposed to be in the world. And there's a big difference. Don't worry about the where 
where should I be? What should I be doing? Where should I be? What should I be doing? You know how many Christians obsessed by that? I'm sure some of you listening right now, you're even living that way. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't want to wait for God to tell me. Stop! Just get on with it. Make a decision. Move on. Well, what if God wants me somewhere else? He'll get you there. God's a big boy. He has no problem doing it. And even in the book of Acts, at one point, Philip's walking along, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit just picked him up and planted him somewhere else. I mean, when you're walking down the streets of Stevens Point, and two minutes later, you're in downtown Detroit. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> God can do that. All right? It was the first beam me up Scotty in the Bible. Zap, zzz. He was just instantly somewhere else. Pretty cool. God can take the where you're wearing what is the smallest concept. It's not an issue. Don't be obsessed with that. Not don't wait. I know people. I'm, I can think of. I see their faces in my mind as I'm speaking, but I won't mention any names. Who have spent years, decades that I've known these people. I don't know what I should be doing. Where I should be doing. Let's wait for God to show me what to do. Where I should go. Oh, and they do nothing. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Pastor, I want to do the will of God. The will of God isn't about where you're supposed to be. It's about how you're supposed to be. And I was looking at the book of Ephesians, a little epistle in the New Testament. Three chapters. There's six chapters that broke it up in six. None of it was written in chapters, but they broke them up in six chapters. The first three talk about who we are in Christ. And then the next three about the will of God, how to be a Christian. I broke it down. I'm going to give you three chapters of the Bible in 30 seconds. I'm going to save you all kinds of Bible reading right here. Check this out. Bottom line, this is what he says in those three chapters. Tell the truth. Don't talk dirty. Stop all the anger and bitterness in your life. Be nice. Forgive people like God forgave you. Live a life of love. Don't be greedy. Make the most of every opportunity in your life. There's the what to do. Don't be under the influence of wine, but under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Wives respect your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Children obey your parents. There you got three chapters of the Bible, just like that. Aren't you glad? That's the Bible. You need to read this stuff. That's where you learn how. That's the will of God. That God wants to know how, to, how you should be on the inside. Where on the planet you are at any given moment, or what little gyrosol is doing at any time, is of little consequence. That's easy. God can. Move that around in your life like a piece of cake. Do not fret about the will of God. It's about what you're supposed to do. Stop it. Just make the most of every opportunity. Whatever your hand, the Bible says, can do, do it. God will worry about the wares and all that other stuff. Your focus, when the Bible talks about the will of God, it's talking about in here. How you're supposed to be. So number one from today, we walk away with two truths. Number one, if you don't have confrontation, you're not walking in love. I know I'm messing with some of your heads. But if you refuse to confront stuff, you will end up with a disaster in your life. Better to have the little battles than to fight the big wars. Oftentimes, the big wars end in nothing but death. So don't be afraid of that. And then number two, Get active in your faith. Ask God what you want him to do in your life. And not just sit around waiting for him to do something. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us to be people of faith and people of action. Help us, number one, Lord, and not to be afraid of the little conflicts that are necessary in life. 
Help us not to turn into these enablers who just help people continue to walk in bad ways because we don't want to deal with it. This deals in every area of our lives. So number one, help us not to be afraid of conflicts. And number two, help us to be active in our faith and to be more concerned about how we are on the inside than about all the other details of the will of God in our lives. And help us, Lord, to be more active in asking what we want you to do instead of being obsessed of some mystery about what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Bless you. Have a great day.